in a series this morning that we've entitled In God We Trust with a question mark. And as you could see on our opening uh, illustration with the DVD, there are so many things that uh, we're confronted with in the current age we live in that are soliciting our trust. And the question is, what are you going to have faith and trust in? I know for you to be here this morning, your initial answer would be, well, certainly I, I, I trust in the Lord. And the last passage that was on the screen overhead it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto your own understandings. And then it says this, and in all your ways, I want everyone to say that after me, say it this way, say all my ways. One more time, all my ways, and in all my ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct my path. And the next few weeks, we're going to begin to talk about this and make application. And for those of you that have hung around me uh, for some years now, know that over the 4th of July uh, season, oftentimes I'll talk about God and country, and this is in sort of that same uh, angle or mentality, but I want to just take it a few steps further, hopefully, in these next three weeks together. Last week, Tracy shared, as many of you will remember, about our ungodly belief systems, and uh, as she shared, um, for most of us, it looked like just about everybody responded last Sunday. That was awesome. And and she shared about our, our personal uh, ungodly belief systems, the way the Life and the enemy and experience and traumas have just twisted our, our tapes that run in our, our head to the place where we have believed a lie. And out of that lie, we begin to live life in a way that just doesn't work all that well. Well, it certainly starts in all of our personal lives. And it has to start in your life personally. But I want to go and take a few steps off of that, kind of springboard off some of the things that she shared, and begin to talk about uh, ungodly belief systems at a more, you know, the, the, the trendy term is macro level, at, at a broader level, at a national level, maybe even at a, a worldly level. You know, Jesus is Lord over every aspect of our life. There is no area of life that his lordship does not touch. The problem is, we all said amen, that's good, but we don't think in those terms. He's Lord over family, He's Lord over marriage, He's Lord over parenting, He's Lord over politics, He's Lord over government, He's Lord over the economy, He's Lord over education. He's Lord over the arts. He's Lord over literature. He's Lord over math. He's Lord over science. He's Lord over music. He is Lord of all. Now, we're going to just explore that in these next few weeks. And when you get a hold of this, there are going to be some things that go tilt, but they're going to go tilt in a good way. You see, the reason our society is crumbling... And it's crumbling before our very eyes. I hope, I hope you're starting to see that, we, that because of the, the new cable 24-7 news phenomenon, we now have the ability to watch society crumble 24-7. We used to only get it from 6 to 6.30 on weeknights, but now we can see it 
And the reason it's crumbling before our very eyes is because, according to Colossians 1.17, and it's not my text, I just want to read this to you. Colossians 1.17, it says, And he, meaning Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things consist. So anything that Jesus is not in will not work. That's the Bible. That's not my opinion. That's the Bible. The Bible says if he's not in it, it won't work. If he's not in your life, your life won't work. If he's not in your marriage, your marriage won't work. Not in your family, your family won't work. If he's not in our nation, our nation won't work. If he's not in our economy, our economy won't work. If he's not in your business, your business won't work. And I know what people say. They'll say, well, I'm making money, 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 money. Well, let me tell you, you may have millions of dollars like Donald Trump, but, you know, for marriages, you'd think, you know, he'd get a clue. Money is not the measuring stick all the time. So if his lordship is not recognized in earthly matters, this is what it says, all things fall apart. The problems we are facing today in our culture seem at times hopelessly complicated. At least that's what we're told. It seems as if it is almost beyond our ability to solve. So so we hire people from Harvard and we hire people from Yale and we hire people from the Wharton School of Business and we hire all of these supposed very, very smart people and we can't seem to get the culture back on track. I mean, you can look at the world. We're facing issues right now that I don't know that we've ever faced. We've got some guy over in North Korea who's getting trigger happy with nuclear weapons. We don't know what to do with all these terrorists at Guantanamo Bay. We don't know how to get the economy back on track. We just start stimulus packages and... And again, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an economist. Maybe, maybe it was good to do. I don't know. I hadn't seen the check yet. Have you? Our public schools. Many of them are struggling and in shambles. I was looking at, at, at testing scores and graduation rates. I'm also told that in South Carolina, we lead the nation. This is the one area we lead the nation in. Hallelujah. Domestic violence. We're number 50 in everything except that. Listen to me. Conditions are hopeless if God's people fail to recognize that the solution to our problems do not reside in man. If we don't get it as the church, we'll never be able to communicate or help the world. We say we trust in God, but do we really? Do we really believe that when His Word goes forth, it will be successful in the matter for which it was sent. Do we really believe that righteousness exalts a nation? Do we really believe that His ways are the only solution? Hear me, it's the only solution to our present difficulties. Hear it from me firsthand, live. If you're here, you could say you heard it live. Washington, D.C. will not save us. Columbia, South Carolina will not save us. I don't care if you're Barack Obama, George Bush, or any future president or past will not save us. Democrats won't save us. Republicans won't save us. Fair taxing or more taxing won't save us. A strong defense won't save us. Diplomacy won't save us. Passing bills in Congress won't save us. It is only Jesus who can save us. Now I'm 
shouting it so it can break through. The cross, His Word, His ways. These are the only things that work. And we say amen as we should, but nothing will change until we begin to think like Christians again. So I'm going to spend three weeks just kind of talking about some stuff. And I'm going to take this a little further than I've ever taken it before. So uh, we'll mention some things about God and country along the way. But I really want to sow some, I, I think, very, very important concepts. And so this morning I'm going to talk about recovering our Christian mind. I'm going to do this super fast, so don't worry. You, you, I know some are saying, are we going to be here till dinner time? No. If you keep amening me. We may stay here longer. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Colossians 2.8. Listen, listen real carefully. Colossians 2.8. It says this. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you or rob you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So, so here Paul's saying, he said, people are going to try to cheat you or rob you through certain philosophies and traditions that you're going to buy into, but it's not according to Christ and you're going to be robbed. You're literally going to be robbed of some things. For it says, for in him, meaning Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You see, folks, we've been robbed. We've been duped. We've been deceived by an intentional and insidious plan to render us as Christians and as the children of God, powerless and impotent and of no consequence in the earth. And I'm going to be honest with you, to some extent it's worked. The church in America is powerless. We just might as well confess it so we can repent from it. We are powerless both in the spirit and in the natural. There was a day we were at least given a begrudging respect. Now it's fashionable to challenge the church, to taunt believers. We don't, that people don't worry about the re- repercussion of, of challenging the church. Now they're applauded for it. Now, how in the world did we get to this point? Well, the text says that we have been robbed. We've been robbed through philosophies and empty deceit through the traditions of men according to the precepts of the world. Now, that's Paul's way of saying this. We have been trained to think the wrong way. We have slowly exchanged God's way or the biblical way of viewing things for a secular way of viewing things. Now, I'm talking even in the church. Now, worldview, I believe I put it on the screen overhead. Worldview is what this is called. It's a simple word, really. It's how you view your world, worldview. And basically, worldview, if I could define it, many, many definitions for it. The best one is, it's your lens, or your glasses, so to speak, of understanding. How you understand things. How you evaluate things. How you process things. It's how you interpret your world. And as you interpret your world, it provides for you the way you approach it with answers and solutions. In other words, however you look at things, you wear a worldview, whether you know it or not, you wear one. And it helps you begin to make decisions as to what you should do in your life. Now, it works at every level of life. Questions like, how did I get here? 
Now, if you're wearing a secular pair of glasses and you are faced with the question, how did I get here? What you'll say is some fish crawled out of some murky goo, grew legs, changed his gills into lungs, got legs, began to walk, and we showed up. If you have a biblical worldview and you're asked the question, how did I get here? The answer is God created man out of the dust of the earth, breathed into his life, the breath of life. And out of that came a living soul. So, so these are just illustrations of how we interpret things. When you begin to ask yourself, well, what am I worth? Or how should I function? If you have a secularist worldview and you begin to understand that you're linked to the animal world, therefore your morality is like the animals. Anything that I instinctually feel I can act on. So just like the Burmese monkeys get to have 16 female monkeys that they can mate with any moment, any time they want, seeing how I'm from the monkeys, I must be able to get to do the same thing. That's a secular worldview where if it's a biblical worldview, we begin to hear things like God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. God made one man, one woman really for one lifetime. Now, now these are perspectives that we answer based on the lens that we have on our head. But if you have the wrong lens on your face, then you'll get the wrong answer. And if you get the wrong answer, life won't work right. Now, I'm going to just give you this illustration. The the issue of worldview started in the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam and Eve their lenses of interpreting the garden. God said to Adam and Eve, he said, of all the trees you may eat freely, this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, This one tree you may not eat from. And so their lens was given by God. And so all they knew was, I could have anything and everything, but this one tree, God says, I'm to to stay away from. So their worldview was, God said this, and so I'll obey it. Now, along comes Satan in the form of a serpent. He shows up and he wants to overturn what God has said. So he starts to change Adam and Eve's worldview. He has them begin to look at the tree that was off limits and he succeeds in having them see it in a different light than what God has said about it. He begins to say to them, it looks pleasing. It's not going to hurt you. Satan begins to say to Adam and Eve, there are more ways than one to look at this tree. Satan wanted them to begin to think Away from and independently from God's word. He wanted them to think as he would want them to think and to buy into a lie. Well, what happened? Well, the minute Adam and Eve changed their worldview, life stopped working the way it was meant to work. They ceased trusting in what God had said. And they decided that they were going to look at it from a little bit different angle. And because they looked at it from a little bit different angle, they decided they were going to try things a little bit different way. And because they did all of this, what happened through that was they were robbed. They were cheated out of their dominion. They were cheated out of their power. They were cheated out of their authority. And it happened because they weren't thinking right at the time. 
And that's what the enemy has done to this very day. Satan no longer sends a serpent to us. What he does is he sends a school system to us. He sends the media to us. He sends the cable news to us, the newspaper, the movies, our universities, our literature, our music. We are inundated 24-7 with the voice that says, don't look at it God's way. There's really another way to look at it. And the minute we shift our brain from moving out of what God has said into what that serpent has said, life stops working. The minute as a nation... We shift from what God has said to another way of looking at it. That nation stops working. Are you following me? The minute a school system shifts from what God has said, that school system stops working. The minute a business moves away from what God has said, that business will stop working. It may not happen overnight. But as we're finding out, the economy will catch up with you. And currently, the reason our culture is falling apart, our nation is messed up, is because we are buying lies at every imaginable level. Lies about God, lies about ourselves. That was what Tracy was talking about last Sunday. Lies about the nature of marriage and covenant. Lies about what what government should and shouldn't do. Lies about sexuality. We buy into these lies and we hear it long enough until finally we've heard it so much and it seems as if so many people are saying it that we begin to say, well, surely if that many people are saying it and they've been saying it for that long, then they must be right. No, they're not. And what you think about all these things according to Scripture. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So as a nation thinketh, so is it. And the more we think about these things, we begin to see the manifestation of those thoughts. We're seeing it in our culture. We're seeing it in our nation. We shouldn't be surprised. We finally, and again, I I pray for my president. You know, I think there's some possibilities here. But, but you know, when you stand up and you say things like, we, we are not, the United States of America is not a Christian nation. That is just against the facts. It, I don't care if George Bush had said it. It's against the facts. It's not true. We are a Christian nation, but it's been said so much, so much, so much, so much, so much, till finally we've got a president who says it too. But that don't make it so. And right now, there is a war going on in America as to how we're going to think as a nation. That's why we're having these clashes everywhere we look. We have clashes over whether you can pray or not in public places. We're having clashes over whether you can carry a Bible anymore into a public school. We're having clashes over Christmas carols. And can I sing a Christmas carol in a public arena? Nativity scenes, commencement speeches... We're having clashes over whether or not small groups can meet in a neighborhood and park a few cars on the street. Churches 
start in homes oftentimes and and zoning laws are are being instituted in order to keep churches from starting in neighborhoods we're clashing over whether you call it winter break or christmas break do you understand these are all skirmishes these are all uh, 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 uh symptoms of this clashing that's going on right now over the way we think we are being rope reprogrammed by our culture let me share this with you we are not the cult We're not the cult. I don't care what they say about me or you or us. We're not the one reprogramming everybody. We're the one trying to get people's tapes back to the way they were created. We have to recover the mind of Christ at every level of life. Well, how do we begin to do this? You need to write these things down. I'm going to I'm going to spring off of this next week. So so I'm believing this is just an introduction for our next two weeks. How do we begin to do this? Let me tell you, first off, before I run up all these things, our hearts may be right, but it's time to get our brain right. And we've got to get our hearts and our minds connected in an integral way. For Christians, let me just tell you the saddest thing is I see people, I believe, I believe them to be true. I don't believe they're lying when they tell me that they love the Lord. In fact, I've heard people say, I love the Lord, but why isn't life working right? I love the Lord, but I just, things aren't fitting together. I love the Lord, but pastor, I just don't get, he must not like me or something. Listen to me. You can love the Lord out of your heart, but if you're still thinking like your heathen neighbor, it don't matter how much love is there in your heart. I guarantee you right now, there are men and women who have been unfaithful to their spouses and the whole time as they're being unfaithful, they'll still love the one they're married to. And you're going, how can that be? How can you... We do it all the time with Jesus. We say we're married to him, but then we go be unfaithful. Oh, well, we'll just leave that one and let you simmer on that one for a while. How do we begin to do this? I'm going to give you some things that you're going to have to implement. I've got to go through this quickly. Are you going to listen fast? If you'll listen fast, say amen. Okay, how do we begin to do this? Number one, listen to this. You've got to acknowledge the rulership of Christ. The rulership. That's what Lord means, rule. Jesus is not a figurehead king. That is basically how we view him. We kind of have Jesus as this ceremonial person in our life. We'll acknowledge Jesus as king and ceremonially we'll acquiesce to his kingship. And, you know, every Christmas and Easter we'll show up for a Sunday. That is called compartmentalization. When Jesus is a figurehead or ceremonial person where he sort of rules a few places of your life, a few compartments of your life, but there are areas that he might not get to enter into, that's called compartmentalization. For a lot of people, for instance, I'll just give you examples, he rules sometimes our morals, but that doesn't confine me necessarily. Sometimes it's just the morals I want him to rule. Because he has no say in my relationships, he has no say where I work, he has no say in my business, he has no say how I vote, he has no say in anything. Have you ever seen a person who medicates themselves despite what a physician might tell them? In other words, they get their medication. My granddad used to do this all the time. He'd get his medication from his doctor and the doctor would say, you know, take one pill a day for the next 14 days. And in his mind, he'd look at it, and this is how he'd think. He'd say, well, if I took two pills a day, I'll get better twice as fast. Or if I cut them in half, I can spread it out a little bit longer. 
And, and the problem is, is that he never got better. The reason he never got better is because he wasn't listening to what the doctor said needed to happen for him to work like he was supposed to work. When we receive Jesus as Lord, we have got to understand you cannot, you cannot just give him half your life. You can't give him three quarters of your life. Can I just share this with you? If you come to Jesus and you give Jesus about half of who you are and what you're about, you have signed up for the ultimate frustration. I don't, I, it's going to frustrate you and you're going to think it doesn't work and you're not going to understand and you're going to give up. Jesus is Lord of all. He's the Lord of all. And until he becomes Lord of all, life will not work right. That's why me, I teach not compartmentalism. I teach comprehensive Christianity. Every room of your house has to be his. Jesus doesn't come and negotiate with you. You know, you say to him, well, I've got, I've got seven compartments here. I'll give you three. Jesus goes five. And you go, ah, four. And the Lord goes, four in the closet. That's not how it works. If you want him to rule, he gets it all. He's the non-negotiator. He doesn't negotiate with terrorists. He doesn't negotiate with his creation. He doesn't negotiate. It's all or zero. So you got to acknowledge his lordship. Number two, you got to commit to the renewing of the mind. Trace read it last week, Ephesians 4, 17 through 23. I'm, I'm not going to read it all to you, except that it said because you are alienated and darkened, you need to be brought back to what you had learned in Christ. And it says that you have to put off some things, put on some things, but then it says you got to be renewed in your thinking. There's a, a test out there that's called the Pierce test. P-E-E-R-S, Pierce test. The Pierce test figures out by testing people just how Christian they really think. It's interesting because there's five areas of the test. There's, there's an area on government, there's an area on education, there's an area on the economy, there's an area on religion, and then there's an area on social issues. And it's interesting that the, that the, the scores go anywhere from negative 100 to a positive 100. The negative 100 is that you're in the Marxist range, and the positive 100 means that you're a biblical Christian. Now, 70 to 100 is, you know, biblical Christian, 30 to 69 means that probably theologically and more than likely philosophically, you're liberal in your viewpoints, 30 to 69. From 0 to 29, you're considered a secularist. And if you're less than that 0 down to negative 100, they would consider you to be a Marxist. Now, since 1988, listen to this, there has been a steady decline in those tested. In 1991, Christian kids... Listen, tested 33. That's in 91, 33. That meant they were theologically and philosophically liberal in their worldview. Now listen to this. That was 91. In 2001, they tested 8.3. That's just 10 years. Is it any wonder that when evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians, they say, go and they begin to express their votes, they begin to express their philosophies, they begin to express their morals. Is it any wonder we don't look that much different than anyone else? In the year 2000, I personally was able to teach a group of high school kids at a Christian school, Christian worldview, and we gave them the peers' test. 
It was interesting, when we got the scores back, two of their categories, which was religion and social issues, they tested uh, 70 plus. That was good. But it was interesting that these kids that were in Christian school in the other three areas tested as secularists. What that said to me was this. They understood a few of the conservative Bible-believing principles that they probably learned in their churches. They understood probably that there were certain moral things that were right and certain things that were wrong. But when it came to understanding how their government worked, when it came to understanding how education worked, when it came to understanding how the economy worked, they were secularists to the bone. This was in a Christian school. Now you wonder... Why we think it's critical to get your kids here two hours on Sunday morning and one hour on Sunday night and maybe an hour on Wednesday. Because in that short amount of time, which is all we're given, we're trying to counteract 40 hours of this insidious programming that's going on in their head through their music, through the news, sometimes at the kitchen table, even through teachers, we're doing our best to try to somehow combat them moving farther and farther and farther down the line to thinking like a Marxist. And I'll just say for those of you that are Christian teachers in the public school, God bless you. I will pray for you that God will give you witty ideas and and abilities to be able to, to help your students and to sow seeds in them. And those of you, I know I have some here that are in Christian schools. We've got to begin to do our part in education, at home, and in the church. We've got to do our part to start giving kids a brain transplant. The liberals understand this. They'll, get, they'll go down to the Teletubbies and Barney and the cartoons. And you just watch them sometime and you see what philosophy is getting pumped into them. And suddenly you'll realize why they turn out like they turn out. You've got to help them. We all have to help them or we will lose the nation as we know it today. Number three, got to hurry. There's no such thing as neutral. Some ideology is going to win the battle for our culture. Somebody's going to win. Don't let anyone tell you that the television or the government or, or the school is neutral. Don't you let anybody ever tell you that, you know, well, you know, our America's just neutral. That's a bunch of hooey. It isn't neutral. You can watch news and you know instantly where they're pulling for. There is not a neutral atom in this whole universe. Everything in the universe was created to give glory to God. Every atom was. Nothing exists that was not originally intended. God gave the printing. You know why God gave the printing press? It wasn't to disseminate pornography. The printing press was invented by Gutenberg in order to print the scriptures. It was meant to give glory to God. You know why the internet exists? It's not so, you know, guys can go up in their rooms and turn it on and get their jollies late at night when everyone else is asleep. It was created to disseminate the gospel. These things must be redeemed and restored back. There's no such thing as neutral. My family, my marriage, this church, if you don't recognize it, I'll say it out loud. We are not neutral. There are some pastors out there that just say, I'm just not going to get involved and say anything about the governor. I don't want to do it. We're not neutral. 
I'm sick of neutral. Neutral, the biblical word for neutral is sloth. I am not a slothful person. God rebukes me for that. Neutral, there's no such thing as neutral. You can't be neutral in your house. You can't be neutral in your relationships. I'm not neutral with my friends. I'm not, there's not a neutral bone in my body. Hurry, Lord. Number four. We got to commit to generational thinking. It took three generations to produce a Joseph who could influence Pharaoh in Egypt. The Bible says that our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God thinks generationally. You see, you see, you see atheists and secularists and liberals, they don't... They don't, they think this way because they don't believe they're going anywhere. See, Christians, because we believe that either Jesus is coming soon or that when we die, we're out of here anyway, hallelujah, and the world's falling apart, we tend not to think in terms much past lunch. But they, they don't think in these terms. Let me tell you, the gay community has thought generationally. If they don't get it done in our generation, they're going to keep getting it done in the next generation. And the next generation. And the next generation. And we've got to begin to think this way as well. Yes, Jesus may come soon. There are days I would really love for him to come that day. But the Bible still tells me I must occupy until he comes. So I must do the business of beginning to put things in place generationally. I don't know if, if legacy, I don't know the influence this church will have in my lifetime, but God willing, if he holds his son back for a couple generations, if I have anything to do with it, those who follow in my footsteps will somehow have something here that can influence this city. We may not see Charleston come to Jesus, but somebody just might, and we need to do our part to make sure they're successful. This isn't just about you and it's not just about me. It's not just about getting our ego satisfied and who we are and making sure we're just feeling self-fulfilled and self-gratified. This is about who wins this world. So we got to commit to generational thinking. It does us no good to have 10,000 people show up on Sunday morning who claim to be Christian, but they think like a secularist. That doesn't do us any good. Give me a Gideon's 300. I'd rather go to battle with 300 passionate, non-neutral people than 30,000 who don't know why they're in it. We're here to win battles, not just to look good. We're here to redeem, to be conduits through which redemption can take place. That's why we're here. That's why our life is not our own. Come on now, this is what we are about. It doesn't mean that we're, we're arrogant or haughty. It doesn't mean that we're always just irritating people around us. You can be sweet-spirited. You can be soft. You don't have to be, you know, just this loud guy like I am. You can be soft-smoking and loving and gentle and kind and merciful. But there are ways all of us can begin to change the way we think. And as we change the way we think, as we think, so shall we be. And then number five, this is the best one and the most important one. we got to maintain the spirit of optimism. Pastor, what do you mean by that? This is what I fall into at times. I see the overwhelming issues in people's lives, the culture, our nation, 
North Korea, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Somali pirates. And you just say to yourself, God, just, just, Lord, just flush it down the toilet. Just get me out of here. I'm just, I'm just get me out of here. It's just all falling apart. And we've got to combat that. And, and get our spirit of optimism back. L- 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 what I mean is, is this. I believe the gospel works. I believe that. I don't believe anything else works. The scripture tells me that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. There is going to come a day, and I believe we may be seeing it, that the kingdoms of this world will crumble. And when they crumble, and let's just assume Jesus may not determine that's the time he wants to come back. If they crumble, who will pick up the pieces? Who will offer the solution? Who will begin to implement the answers? I believe that the gospel prevails. I believe that God prevails over all things. I believe the cross is bigger than whatever the matter is. There is no sin that the cross can't redeem. There is no problem that Jesus can't answer. And so we've got to get to the place where we don't fret over politicians falling. We don't fret over economies crumbling. We don't fret over nations threatening. It just proves that the kingdoms of this world do not work. And when they fall, the kingdom of God is able to begin to move and fill in that particular vacuum. And folks, that's our optimism. Our optimism is this. Given the time, God wins. And I know He wins because ain't nobody outliving Him. We win. My way, because it's His way, works. Therefore, I win. Ah! Go legislate what you want. Ha! I win. We win. The people of God win. God wins. He's Lord of all. But we've got to recover. Begin to recover the way we think. Now, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make some real practical applications, some more. But, but you've got to begin to get the commitment in your spirit that you begin to see life with God in charge. He's got the answer. He's got the solution. Whatever you face, he's faced it and he knows what to do. He understands exactly what needs to happen in order for everything in our nation to work right. And that is why if we as a nation decide that we're going to walk away from even the ceremonial aspects of God in our culture, we will, we will collapse quickly. I, we're not neutral. Come on, we're not neutral. This is life and death. This is the survival of a civilization. There is no civilization that has survived as long as the United States of America. And it is because up to this point we have done our best to keep our moorings in at least an assemblance of his word and of his kingship and his rulership. Do you understand? A lot of people don't realize this because it's changed our thinking. Do you know why? Do you know why that churches can't be taxed? Just, I'm going to give you an example. Do you know why? Because originally... It was because 
earthly agencies and man and government can't tax God. To tax God? To tax his house? This is what will happen. And, 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 and you know, I'm going to keep tithing whether they take away my benefits of it or not. I'm going to keep giving. It doesn't matter because I'm not doing it for my, for my Schedule A, you know. If you're giving money because of your Schedule A, then you aren't, you aren't going to be blessed anyway. But, but let me just tell you this. The minute they take away the charitable deduction is the minute God will take away his hand over this economy. See, that's what they're, that's what they're mess, messing with. They're going to say, well, we're going to take away all the charitable deduction. And God just says, you do that. You go ahead and tax my people and tax my house, and I'll take my tax out of all of you. See, that's just, I'm just telling you. It's not, it's not because the government benevolently allows us to receive a benefit when we're charitable in our heart. Oh, yes, the government. The government is not God. Governments come and go. Political parties change. God will be there when all the dust settles. And I'm with Him. I'm with Him. So here's what we're going to do, and we're done this morning. Would you stand with me, please? I'm not asking for musicians, but what's the name of that song we sing about? Open the blind eyes and the deaf. What's the name of that? Go run back there and have them put, go run back there and get, get that tape set up. Put that tape, get that tape set up so I can have some music here in just a minute. We're going to cry out for our nation here was what we're going to do this morning. And as we cry out for our nation, I want you to begin to not just think of it in, in those macro terms, but I want you to think of it in personal terms. You know, for some of you last week, as Trey shared, it was the first time you got a hold of the fact that you had these tapes running in your brain that was causing you to see yourself in, in, in a light that God did, certainly didn't see you in. And you bought some lies of the enemy and you began to, to spring out of that whole mess. You began to tear down the old wallpaper to put up the new understandings. I'm telling you, God is going to do that not only for you personally, but he's going to do that in a, in a far greater way. He wants to in our state. Well, in our community, our state, and even this nation, if we will seek him again. It's interesting that in our founding fathers' original documents, there, there may have been some who were deists and some, like Benjamin Franklin, who I just had an opportunity to read part of his, uh, his personal autobiography the, uh, in journal. You know, Benjamin Franklin may not have acknowledged Jesus the Christ, and, and he may not have had... Uh, 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 a godly sense of his presence like maybe those of us in this room have because Benjamin Franklin was sort of a, a, a skeptic. But I can tell you this, it was Benjamin Franklin who knew enough to stand up in the middle of Congress when they were trying to put together their constitution. And he made the statement, he said, how be it that we who oftentimes would beseech the Lord in order to help us through our war with Britain now so easily dismiss him. And it was Benjamin Franklin who didn't, who didn't have probably a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it was Benjamin Franklin who looked at that first Congress and said, we need to get on our knees and we need to seek God as we, as we presume to put together this great nation. I'm telling you, in those days, even an atheist had enough sense to know that God's ways work. But now we've just become foolish. 
The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so now we walk in foolish ways. Let's begin just to seek the Lord. Father, we cry out to you this morning. We cry out for our nation. We cry out for the families. We cry out for our communities. We cry out, Lord, to you. We cry out for our schools. We cry out, Lord, for our government. Lord, we cry out this morning for every aspect of our national life. And Lord, we confess as the people of God, Lord, that there have been times we, above all else, have have had a mind that was of the world and not the mind of Christ. And Lord, we are committing this morning to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, in the depths of our thinking. We want to be renewed that Jesus is Lord, that all things were created by Him and for Him, and in Him all things consist. That, Lord, our lives won't work right without Him being Lord. That Charleston won't work right without Jesus being Lord. That our state won't get out of the cellar in all these areas unless Jesus is Lord. Help us, Lord, to begin to erase the trash and the static of the world in our minds. And, Lord, let the new... Be placed in your word, your ways. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall be successful in the matter for which it was sent. Lord, We desire a success. Come on, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Is there anyone here that really desires failure? Is there anyone here that really, really desires poverty? That really desires a life that's crashed and just absolutely just devastated? You don't want that. And yet God's word says that he can put you back together. He can get you operating according to plan. He can get you to destiny. It'll be by a way that you hadn't considered before. And it might not always be the easiest of journeys. But if you trust Him at all times, He'll get you there. He'll get you there. Come on, you've got to embrace His Lordship. The next time you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is He rules. In every area of my life, He rules. That's why we created... When Legacy started, that was the one thing that I was just unmoved about jesus will rule everything we do how we're set up how we attempt to minister how we do it i'm not saying we do it perfect here i'm quite sure we don't but i know the heart of even this local church was jesus rules let that begin to invade your life right now let it begin to one more time it should give you optimism and confidence man he rules He's in charge. It's not that he just rules in the midst of devastation. He rules in devastation in order that he can put it together again. So that it will be a bright and shining light. Lord, begin to implant that and engraft that into our minds and our hearts once again. Guys, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to play that CD, Hear Us From Heaven. 
I, I want the words to go up on the screen as well so the folks can sing along. But this song is so great. We're going to end on this song. And it's just, it's just really a song. We've sung it before that it's just a cry to our God. But I believe that God's enduing us with power. Miracles are coming. Signs and wonders will take place. And he's giving us a new mind. Not just a new spirit, that's good, but a new mind. So that we begin to see and think his way. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Go ahead and put it up, guys. Let's just begin to sing. And I want everyone just to begin to lift their voice. And this is the last thing we'll do this morning. This is our worship and intercession going up at the same time. Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. our generation we are your people crying out in desperation Lord hear our cry hear our cry come heal our land breathe life into
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just begin to pray right now as a body. Let's begin to do what we just sung. Let's just take another moment or two. We won't take but a moment, but begin to pray. Come on. Some of you can pray in the spirit. That's what we're about. There was ever a time in our nation that we needed to pray. We needed to pray with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's the hour we're in right now. Come on, let the Spirit of God begin to intercede through you right now. Come on, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, begin to move. Move out of your people. Move out of your churches. Move through the streets of our city. Move across the land of this state. And all through this nation. Holy Spirit, move and call your people to the place, Lord. Lord, where their minds are renewed. That they come to their senses. That, Lord, they think as you think. That they see as you see. Lord, help us to have it forever put in our spirit that as a man thinks, so is he. As a nation thinks, so is it. And Lord, we believe that we believe we can be the generation, Lord, that can turn it around. I know people say it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He can do anything. He can do anything. So I thank you, Lord, that you're, you're renewing that. It's not a completed work, but you're renewing that in us here this morning. And Lord, as we celebrate all the national things that go on, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would trigger in everyone's mind. The only reason we do this is because, Lord Jesus, it consists in you. It exists in you. The fireworks that go off aren't giving glory to the nation. It's giving glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for starting it. We receive it gratefully. Now, bless your people, I ask. Cause what we've taught these last couple of weeks to, Lord, manifest in tangible, dramatic, distinguishable ways. Let them make the connection between what they're doing right now and to what you want to produce in their life. Lord, I pray this week it might happen in amazing ways. Lord, we love you. We appreciate you. We're serving you no matter what. And Lord, we just tell you one more time as we go. We love you just supremely. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.